right, as you get back to your places, we're going to Ruth chapter 1. If you would, Ruth chapter 1. We have been looking at the final, or what could have been the final meeting here uh, with Naomi and her two daughters-in-law and uh, their choices that they're having to make here is that she's going back to Israel. And so what we talked about last week or began and we'll finish this week is resolve. Uh, The resolve that we see on Ruth's part. And then, well, first we saw it in Orpah's part too. Uh, But one thing you'll know about resolve and in just a quick review here, is that every resolve you ever make in life will be tested. Uh, Every commitment will be challenged. Every decision will be disputed. Every profession of faith will be protested. Everything that you do, you come to the altar make a decision of any kind, or you make a decision in your heart to the Lord of any kind, it will be tested. You go ahead and promise God you won't get angry again, and then see how long something doesn't come before it flares up in your face and makes you angry. I mean, it just, those things are tested. And so here we saw saw different tests, and I'm not going to rehash the whole thing, but we saw the test of prosperity, verses 8 and 9. Go return to each your mother's house. The Lord will deal kindly with you just to catch you up. Uh, uh, Naomi and her family, they went to Moab to escape a famine. Uh, Both her husband and her two sons died there. Now she's going back, uh, she's bitter, she's uh, going home empty, she's uh, discouraged, and her two daughters-in-law are going back with her. Now it's coming to the point where they are to separate, and she's trying to talk them into going home without knowing it, really, maybe. I doubt Naomi thought this through. She seems to be more self-centered than anything else at this point, but she was giving them tests of their faith and their decisions. So she says, go back. Uh, she dealt with the. She gave them the test of prosperity here. Told them it would be more prosperous for them to return to Moab than to go to Judah with her, uh, in in the area of relatives. Return each to her mother's house. Uh, this would have been a better option to the fleshly eye. Uh, reward: the Lord will deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And uh, not only relatives and reward, but rest. She said the Lord will give you rest, uh, each of you in the house of her husband. Now rest here in the context is, is referring kind of to marriage because uh, this is what they were focused on. If you were a widow in that time, in a way supporting yourself, there's no, uh, there's no help from the government like we have today and different uh, options for people to go to. I mean, they had, uh, it was really the only way they're going to get any rest or uh, reward is to be married. And so that's what she's speaking about here. Now, then we see their persistency. Verse 9, And they lifted up their voice and wept, and they said unto her, Surely we will return with thee unto thy people. So both passed the test of prosperity, and both stayed with her. Then we see the test of problems. Uh, In verse 11, she says, Turn again, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Are there yet any more sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Now, that seems really weird to us today. I mean, I don't know how old they were, but let's say they're mid-20s. She's talking about having more sons so they could marry them. Wouldn't that be kind of weird if in your mid-20s to wait while a baby grows up so you can marry it? Uh, But what we're referring there is the leveret marriage that was in place in the Old Testament. Uh, The custom at that time was that a man would marry his brother's widow. And so uh, she's saying, I'm not going to have any more sons. I don't have any more sons to give uh, to take you in marriage. And so she said that's not going to happen. They should stay in Moab and find a husband the normal way. That's what she's talking about, verse 11. 
the response to this text test is found in verse 14. And well, actually, let's start reading now in verse 12, and then we'll we'll read our text through 18, and then we'll talk about that going forward here. Turn again, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have an husband. If I should ha- say I have hope, if I should have an husband also tonight, and should also bear sons, would you tarry for them till they were grown? Would you stay for them from having husbands? Nay, my daughters, for it grieveth me much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord is gone out against me. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. So the, 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 we see here Orpah left, went back home, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and went home. Verse 15, but Ruth here, she said, Behold thy sister-in-law, or Naomi said, Behold thy sister-in-law is gone back unto her people, and unto her gods return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Whither thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where, whither thou diest, where thou diest will I die. There will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. When she saw that she was steadfast and minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Father, we pray you'd help us this evening in this few minutes. Take something here that will be helpful to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we have a different response to this test, test, the test of problems. One stayed, one went back home. We have a split response. Both Ruth and Orpah passed the first test. Only Ruth passed this one. In passing the second test, Ruth begins to shine. And, of course, this book being written for her, we see all the benefits that come from it. And so I want to compare these responses. First, in believing, Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, and then in verse 15 it says she went back to her people. Orpah fails the test. She returns to Moab. We hear no more about her. We don't know what happened to her. There's nothing. Just think about the comparison of Ruth and Orpah from this point on. We know about Ruth. She's the uh, ancestress of David. She's the ancestress of Christ. She has a book named after her in the Bible because of that choice. We don't know anything about Orpah. In a critical time, she made the wrong decision because she lacked faith in God and his word. Orpah, notice now, did have a fondness for Naomi. But in the end, (coughs) she had more of a love for the land of Moab. And this type of character we see all throughout our Christian circles. Uh, I wonder if the majority of church members today are not in the Orpah category. Uh, they serve God in an act of convenience. The church is, is like a gym that we go to. Uh, you know, we all know we should go. We go once in a while, make a showing, uh, and then, or maybe we go once a week. But the Orpahs of the world are not fond or or are completely uh, interested in the Word of God. They're not spiritual, but they're materialistic. They think, they speak, they reason. They act like the world. They don't reflect Christian principles in their lifestyle. They're like sparklers. You know those sparklers you have on the 4th of July? Uh, you give them to the kids, and they're pretty much harmless, so we usually let the kids run around with them. And what happens? They, you light them, and well, you hold them to the light first, or, or some coal or something, and trying to get Once they light, man, they're just on fire, and they're bright, and they're shiny, but just for a moment, and then they fizzle out. A lot of Christians like that, too in the end, more interested in the world than they are in Christ. They kiss Christ verbally, like Orpah did to 
uh, Naomi here, but with their actions, they head back to Moab. That's their real love. And this type of person, this type of follower of Christ, has been around ever since Jesus' day. In fact, Jesus talked about it in Mark 7, 6. This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, I wonder how many people that describes today. Honor me, you know what, honor me with their lips. Honoreth me with their lips. Um, the modern translation for that would be post about me on their Facebook page. So that's, that's the modern equivalent of honoreth me with their lips. They, they're verbal about, boy, you know, I love Jesus. They'll wear Jesus t-shirts and, you know, years ago it's not so much anymore. But remember the WWJD bracelets? Uh, I'd see all kinds of people wearing those and, and uh, honoreth me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Or like Paul said of Demas, he hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, 2 Timothy 4.10. And uh, this is just a, this is a common, too common of a response, and it's a sad thing. So she dabbled in it. She loved Naomi. She loved her old life, her old gods. She, Naomi said it there. She went back to her old life. She went back to her old gods. But, like that word, but Ruth clave unto her, verse 14. That word but signals a contrast. There's this is a different here. Or Paul was one way, Ruth was another way. The two were miles apart when it came to the condition of their hearts. Or Paul loved uh, her old life, her old gods. Ruth was an entirely different matter. Uh, outwardly, they looked the same, probably much. Uh, same place, same background that came from. But inwardly, they were extremely different. I like this word, clave. Ruth clave unto her. That's a strong word. Uh, the original Hebrew word is dawbak, for clave unto her. And uh, David, when he was in the wilderness of Judah, he wrote Psalm 63. And he said this in verse 7, Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Same word, followeth hard. You know, like that descriptive language there. And then we have the same word in Proverbs 18.24 when the Bible says there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Sticketh closer. Clave. Same word. Dawback. It's used there. These words kind of show us the nature of cleaving. Uh, following hard and <coughs> sticking close. It's a word that talks about being faithful, even tenacious, persistent regardless of the circumstances kind of relationship that husbands and wives should have, isn't it? And wouldn't you know it, it's used in the husband and wife relationship, Genesis 2.24. Uh, we find this same word again, <coughs> dawback, used, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Could, would you agree along with me we could use a little more cleaving in today's day and age? Cleaving to the Lord, uh, mates cleaving to one another, families holding together, that would be a good thing. So there was a test of prosperity, the test of problems, and then we come to the test of popularity. Now this is a tough test. The temptation to go along with what others are doing is probably one of the most difficult things we deal with. We talk about how hard it is for teenagers with peer pressure. It's no, no better for adults. Adults deal with peer pressure just like teenagers do. And this is given, obviously, to Ruth alone because she's the only one left at this point. But let's look at what the specifics are, verse 15. <coughs> the Bible says, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people 
unto her gods, return thou after thy sister-in-law. First, this attack, uh, this test will attack separation. Ruth is advised to go with the worldly crowd and stay in Moab. It does not tell, uh, encourage her to be separatist or separate from that, but mingle with the world. That's the popular thing to do. That's what she did. This is what you ought to do. Popularity and separation rarely keep company together. If you're going to be separate, if you're going to uh, be holy and live holy, you won't be in the popular group. Secondly, this test attacks spirituality. Thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her gods. So the temptation, going along with the crowd, being popular, doing what everybody does, is more important than your spiritual life. That's what she's essentially saying here. It says that popularity with the world is more important than popularity with God. It says that the physical and material matters are more important than spiritual matters. It does not let religion interfere with your other life choices. All, Naomi is encouraging her very badly here to do this and uh, to go back to her old life. Popularity. That's a strong test that we face every day of our life. And then thirdly, uh, it attacks singularity. Uh, Ruth stood all alone in her resolve to follow Naomi here. The test uh, here is that we, we also face is the idea of not being weird. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be odd. And we shouldn't be you know, a bunch of weirdos by choice, but we are going to stick out. The Bible says we're peculiar people, chosen by God. We're going to be different. The world sees us sometimes as different, and that's okay. Uh, Ruth's resolve here was that it, she's going to be doing right was more important to her than popularity or going after what the rest of her people did. She met this test with great success. Her victorious response to these things, sealed her future. Now, I want you to think about this. Just think about the difference here between Orpah, who went back home, and Ruth, who determined she's going to be resolved to follow Naomi, follow the Lord's people, go to, go to live with God's people. Think about how this impacted their life. And I think probably all of us at some point in our life come to this fork in the road. But we have to make a decision that monumental that's going to change the course of the rest of our life. This was a big deal, and she did the right thing. <coughs> Ruth's statement to Naomi is a classic. It's one of the literary gems of all time. It's been set to music. It has been used in weddings to show the couple's commitment to one another. And I want to divide it into seven parts. That's right. In ten minutes, we're going to do a seven-point sermon. Okay? Ready? Buckle your seatbelt. we get through this. Her demand, her direction, her dwelling, her description, her deity death and her determination. Her demand, she said, entreat me not, verse 16 here, to leave thee or to return from following thee. I like this. Ruth basically says, Naomi, stop it. Stop telling me to go back. Stop telling me to leave you. Uh, she's, uh, she's giving her an emphatic no to all this temptation. It's a verbal testimony to all the others, well, one other now left in Naomi, I won't be a part of it anymore. I don't want to hear it anymore. And sometimes this is necessary. Sometimes we have to be this forceful with those around us who are trying to constantly get us to do the wrong thing. Maybe it's a complaining attitude or a, a bitter attitude 
that others have, and we, we're getting pulled down in it. We just have to, no, 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 stop, not going any further. Maybe it's gossip, somebody trying to pull us into a gossip session. No, not going to do it. Stop doing this. And I like this. Her, she, she demanded her to stop with those type of temptations. There comes a time in our life when we have to put down our foot against wrong. And sometimes it's with somebody close. Here it was a mother-in-law. Sometimes it's a sibling or a close friend or even a spouse. If there's a constant pull towards sin, we have to stand for what's right. Secondly, her direction. Whither thou goest, I will go. This is in verse 16. She expresses her resolve to follow Ruth, no or follow Naomi, no matter where the path leads. It doesn't matter if it's a rough path, a smooth path, a long path, or a short path, a hard path, or an easy path. She's going to follow after Naomi. She's going to go the same direction. Ruth's resolve was not to change her direction, regardless of what circumstances might come. And we need to be that way with the Lord. Amen? Where he leads, we must follow. People often pray for God to direct their paths. And then when God does direct their paths, they don't follow like they should follow. Uh, like, I, I don't know if you've been in church any time, you've heard this as well, but we hear people will come and they will come to this church or a church and God led me here and then six months later, I guess God made a mistake. God doesn't want them there anymore. And uh, I'm not saying God never moves people, but we gotta, uh, we have to be willing to follow God. If we tell God to lead us, let's follow him when he tells us, to, when he leads us. And how many people change direction when they run into an unpleasant circumstance? We need to be resolved like she was. Number three, her dwelling. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Verse 16. Notice here there is no conditions placed on Ruth's resolve. She didn't say that she'll live with Naomi if, if it's a nice house. No, no. Doesn't matter what kind of home we're talking about. It doesn't. By the way, Ruth here is not following possession. She's following a person. Would to God more of us would be in that situation. We're following a person, the Lord Jesus Christ, rather than possessions. This is the kind of commitment we need to see in marriage. This is the kind of commitment that we need to see uh, for Christ from his believers. This is a cry here against convenience Christianity. Man, if that's not one of my pet peeves today, convenience Christianity. I'll go when, you know, we go to church when it's convenient. We serve God when it's convenient. We give when it's convenient. Uh, God's asking for some commitment. Number four. Her description. Thy people shall be my people. Verse 16. Ruth wanted to be described as a member of Naomi's family. <coughs> the, this would require going to Israel with Naomi, living with her and her people. I, I find something interesting here. If you go to verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, which, see that next word? Returned out of the country of Moab. It came to Bethlehem. I, that's interesting, isn't it? It says that Ruth returned to Bethlehem. Ruth had never been to Bethlehem. How can she return to Bethlehem? And it's just a, it's just a word, but I think it's interesting that she so identified and associated herself with Bethlehem is like she's going home. You know how we can apply that to us as Christians? You know how that applies, doesn't it? Heaven, Amen. You go to Hebrews chapter 11, remember what the Bible says about our Hebrew heroes, but now they desire a better country, one that is not made by hands, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. 
Hebrews 11.16. Our eyes should be on our eternal home, not on our present circumstances. That should be our focus. Uh, in, I heard Warren Wiersbe years ago uh, preached. I didn't hear him, but I heard a, a tape of him. But I loved how he put this in uh, one of the problems he found in, in, as he read Hebrews 11 is that uh, the, the prob- the, one of the ways that they kept their eyes in the heavenly countries, they lived in tents. Abraham lived in a tent. Isaac lived in a tent. Jacob lived in a tent. Just, they were just passing through. You don't live in a tent permanently. A tent is something temporary. You know where the problem, when it became a problem, was Lot. You know what Lot did? He got himself a house in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, so that, that's a problem. When we make this world our home, this isn't our home. We're just passing through. And so we need to uh, live that way. Staying in Moab would never have given Ruth any other description than that of a Moabitess. We're caught up with the things of this world will also be known as, as worldly. But her description, thy people shall be my people. Then number five, her deity. She goes on to say, thy God, my God, verse 16. Now, here's the, here's the bottom line. This is the underlying reason for everything else she's saying. She's choosing the right God. She has become a believer in the true God. McGee said this, this is the supreme decision for Ruth. This was the primary point and the highest affirmation of the seven statements that Ruth made. Nothing is so important as our belief in the true God. That's what's, what is our baseline. Ruth was making a decision in the most important area of her life here. She's making the break from idolatry and following the one true God. She was forsaking Baal and going after Jehovah God. It was her greatest decision. Dear friend, it's our greatest decision too. The day you made the decision to leave whatever else you were worshiping and follow the true God, whether it was possessions, materialism, false religion, whatever it was, that is the best decision we can ever make. And we need to encourage other people to make that decision too. Number six, her death. Where thou diest, will I die, and there will I be buried. Verse 17. This speaks about the longevity of her resolve. Her resolve was for life. Next Saturday, we'll be making, uh, you've, you've heard the vows before, and in those vows, uh, the groom and the bride will uh, say, uh, will in, in the vow, right in the vow, they'll say, I do to, till death do us part. That's a, that's a long vow, isn't it? That's a long resolve. Till death do us part. And that's what she said here, essentially, till death do us part here. But it went beyond that. In fact, her resolve was for eternity. Look what it says there in verse 17. And there will I be buried. A burial in Israel spoke of her faith in God. Her commitment went beyond the grave to eternity. Do you remember where Jacob wanted to be buried? In Canaan. Remember, he lived in Egypt. He said, carry me back to Canaan. He wanted to be buried in Canaan. Do you remember what Joseph said? Remember, the Israelites for hundreds of years kept his bones so that he would not be buried in Egypt, but he would be buried in Canaan. Uh, This was a big deal to Israelites, and that's what she said. I want to be buried. I want to live with God's people, die with God's people, and be buried with God's people. This is a commitment that she made to death and beyond. This was no fair-weather friendship. This was commitment. Oh, we need some more of that today. Somebody said there's two good things to lose. Some weight 
and fair-weather friends. Those are good things to lose. Uh, and so this was not a fair-weather friendship here. Number seven, her determination. She said, the Lord, uh, verse 17, the Lord do so to me and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. This is a form of a vow. It's a very strong oath of confirmation that she's making here. Those serious about serving God will not hesitate to commit. Well, can I say that again? Those people who are serious about serving God will not hesitate to commit. Commit to Him. We ought to be ready and willing to make a strong resolve for God. We ought to be willing to sell out completely to the Lord. Romans 12.1 I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. Somebody said, I love the Lord so much I would die for Him. You know what he says in Romans 12.1? I don't want you to die for me. I want you to live for me. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. Yes, it's a... It's a, you, we get it. There's a special reward in heaven for martyrs, but God's not looking for martyrs. He's looking for people to live for it, and that's clear in Romans 12:1. Reasonable Christians realize that personal sacrifice is reasonable. It's a reasonable service. All right, verse 18. We see the silence after the test. <coughs> when she saw she was steadfast-minded to go with her, then she left speaking unto her. Ruth's resolve finally got through. Naomi finally stopped trying to talk her out of it. She could see that Ruth had made up her mind. I don't know Naomi's heart other than to know she, she's bitter. We know that. We're going to see that in a few verses. But uh, I don't know if she was just wanting to make sure Ruth was making a hard decision or whether she was actually trying to talk her out of it. But that was not a, not a shining moment in Naomi's life here, uh, trying to get her to go the wrong way. But uh, she quit pushing her to return to Moab. This is a good lesson for us about temptation. It's going to come often, it's going to come hard, and it's going to come from close sources. Always will. And uh, we need to be ready for it. R realizing that every one of our days that we live on this earth is a battle. I, uh, Paul talked about that. Daily battle. Uh, historian Shelby Foote writes about the Civil War and he wrote about a soldier that was wounded at the Battle of Shiloh. And since he was wounded, he was ordered to go to the rear. And the fighting was fierce. And in a few minutes, he returned to his commanding officer that had sent him to the rear. And this is what he said, Captain, give me a gun. This fight ain't got any rear. It was all around, no matter what direction he went. Uh, he found more fighting. There was no, nowhere to escape to. And that's the Christian life. It has no rear. <laughs> We're in the middle of it. No matter what we do, there's going to be temptation. There's going to be problems. There's going to be bumps in the road. Sometimes there'll be good days, and then sometimes there'll be more difficult days. Of course, the rewards are out of this world, amen? But uh, let's, not, let's remember that the fight we're in in the Christian life is constant and needs to be resisted. And Satan's always out to try to defeat you. Don't you think this was a punch in Satan's nose when she said, I quit, talk, quit trying to talk me out of it. I'm coming with you. Your God's my God. Your people, my people. I'm going to live you with you, die with you, and be buried with you. It was a victory for the Lord. We need to give him more of those victories. Amen? So let's uh, take great example from Ruth. Father, thank you for this great...